how are we in the last week of February already? Time just really needs to slow down. We're two months through 2024. So let's do a quick goal check-in. How are you doing with these goals you set out for yourself this year? Did you start some and fall off track? Are there some you didn't even start yet? I have a mixture of both, but I'm telling you now, do not give up. It's only February, and next week it will only be March. There's so much time left this year, so much time left in life, so much time left for you to reach your goals. I did start tracking macros last week. If you listen to my interview with Verona on macros, she called me out and made me say a date on air of when I would start. It was February 19th, and I started. I'm a weekend so far, so good. I'm not doing great. I'm not meeting my macros, but I'm tracking. And that's what I said I do. And I'm trying to learn as I go. But what I did realize over the past few weeks is it's really harder for me to get that motivation in the winter. I just hate the cold. I don't like being outside when it's cold. I don't even really like looking outside. I'm so over the snow patches on the ground. It's just dirty snow that doesn't look nice. The treeless leaves, while they're pretty in the beginning, I'm just, I'm over it. But Warmer temps will be here soon. I'm crossing those fingers. I'm seeing those daffodils that are starting to pop up everywhere. I'm starting to get my motivation back for some of the things that just haven't been a priority on my list. I looked at the calendar. Memorial Day is only 13 weeks away. So those that wanted to reach your goals by summer, keep that in mind. You got to build into those 13 weeks. Spend some time this week going over your goals. And if you need to re-listen to some of my goal planning episodes to get you on track, then do it. I'll link them in the show notes. I map out step by step, tip by tip. So make sure to grab that notebook and that pen and listen and write. This month, we've been focusing on relationships and how stronger relationships can really help you get that better work-life balance. And without the work part, you wouldn't be looking for the work-life balance part. So it's really important that you look to build and foster all of the different relationships you have at work. Last week, we talked about how to be a better coworker, and this week, we're going to talk about how to be a better manager. And even if you're not a manager yet, it doesn't mean that you won't be someday, so make sure to take those notes. Are you feeling overwhelmed trying to juggle all the many hats you wear as a working mom? Do you want more quality time with your family without distraction of work, with time alone to take care of yourself and your needs? Welcome to mom-wife career life. I'm Carrie, a wife, mom of three, and a recovering perfectionist. In this podcast, I will teach you how to create balance in your life by implementing healthy habits, organizing your home and your schedule, being intentional with your time and in your relationships, and most importantly, how to start putting your needs first because no one can pour from an empty cup. Grab that second cup of coffee, or if you're anything like me, your third, it's time to dive into today's episode of Mom Wife Career Life. As working moms, work is really such a large portion of our week. It's at least 40 hours, and that's not counting the commute time. And if you don't have good time management at work, then you're probably putting in over 40 hours a week. In my coaching sessions, I walk you through how to be more efficient and cut out all those time wasters, not only in your personal life, but also at work. The more efficient you can get at work, the easier it is to close that computer and walk out the door at 5 p.m. and not feel the pressure or guilt to work those extra hours the easier it is to set those boundaries and to not check those emails after hours and on weekends, the easier it is to take back control of your time. And if you're a people manager, I can give you the strategies to get your team more organized and working more efficiently for your needs so it takes some of that weight off your shoulders at night too. To get more information on my coaching sessions, you can check out my website. The link is in the show notes. So I've been a people manager for probably close 
to 20 years. I hate dating myself, but I started managing people back in probably my early 20s. And at that point, I was managing someone in their 40s, which can be a pretty hard task. I know if I had someone roll up in their 20s and get put as my new manager, it would not go over too well for me. But it's how you handle the situation and the relationships you build that make it or break it. As I grew in my career, my team got bigger and the age gaps got a little smaller. And I think I'm actually at the point where most of my team is actually younger than me, which now that I think about it makes me feel a little old. But I've learned a lot since being a people manager. I've also learned a lot from my managers over the years. I've taken some notes on the good qualities, and I've definitely taken a lot of notes on what not to do as a manager. Your manager, as you know, can make you love your job, or your manager can make your life miserable and make you hate your job. And my goal is to really make my team's lives easier and like coming to work, or for us, logging on to work each day. So today, I'm sharing my tips on what I've learned over the years on how to be a better manager. Number one, Lead by example, and this is really with anything in life. But as a manager, your actions really set the tone for your workplace culture, and they really impact and influence your employees' attitudes and their overall performance. The whole treat your others how you want to be treated really holds true at work at well. Be kind. Watch how you talk and interact. Your team will feed off the environment you create and will follow your lead. So make sure you are creating a good one. They will also notice and follow your habits. If you're late all the time, your employees will think that being on time doesn't really matter. But if you make it a point to always be on time to meetings, they will be more inclined to make sure they are on time too. I know it's not something that's always in our control. My meetings run over all the time, but this is just a simple example. Number two, communicate. This is a big one. Again, in every aspect in life, communication is key. And I feel, especially at work, you can never over-communicate. You can overshare but you can't over-communicate. As a manager, you should really be setting clear goals and expectations with all of your employees. If you have a team, you should have some centralized location for communication. My company uses Microsoft Teams, and I have a Teams channel where I communicate with my entire team. I post all of our deliverables, any trainings. I let them know when I'll be out of the office. I also ask that when I post something that each of my team member likes the post so I know that they read it. And it's great because everything is in one spot. Things don't get lost in emails and people can ask questions right there on the post. I also ask that when I post a deliverable that each person on my team comments when they're complete so I know when things are done. It helps keep them accountable and it really gives me a quick place to do a spot check without having to reach out to everyone individually because that would take way too much time. There are also a ton of more things you could do at Microsoft Teams. You can do team checklists and workflows. There are so many features, but these are really just the basic ones. And if you don't have teams at work, I'm sure if you work, especially for a bigger company, that they have something similar. So just ask. Number three, promote work-life balance. As you probably know, I'm very passionate about this one, hence this podcast. It may just be my life's work to help moms create balance in their life because no mom should be putting work before everything else all the time. And I say it all the time. You shouldn't live to work. You should work to live. And if you are working all the time, then you're really not living. I make sure everyone on my team takes their vacation days and when they are on vacation to really be on vacation. And I do the same. The whole lead by example. I'm not checking my emails when I'm out. This is my time that I earned that I need to recharge. And I make sure that I have the same respect for everyone on my team. I tell them to disconnect and I make sure they have coverage while they're out so that they can just walk away without the guilt. If I have an employee that emails me while they're out, 
I give them a virtual hand slap, as I call it. You have your out-of-office on. If it's an emergency, you should have an out-of-office contact. And if they can't handle it and they need to call your cell, then maybe it's warranted while you're out. But if it's something that can wait, then it can wait. Which brings us to number four. Respect boundaries and be considerate. Be considerate of people's times and help create and respect those boundaries within your team. And this is not only with vacation. When booking meetings, be considerate of the time that you are booking. If you work in an office and it's an in-person meeting, try to avoid first thing in the morning or the end of the day if you can. You give people time to get settled at work before they have to jump right in and try to avoid the end of the day when everyone is trying to get their day wrapped up and maybe catch a bus or a train. When I worked in the city, if I didn't get out the door by five o'clock, I would miss my train and I would have to wait an extra 30 to 45 minutes to get the next one. And at that time, my kids were in bed around 7.30, so I would be getting home in time to maybe read them a book and get them to bed. It's actually one of the big reasons I changed my career path. Six years ago, I took a role where I could work remote because my commute when we moved from New York to New Jersey was an hour and a half each way. And that's three hours a day of just commuting. When you think about that, that's a part-time job. And you may have team members that have that long of a commute, so be respectful. And also respect working hours. I actually love that my company added this function into Outlook that lets you know if you're sending an email outside of someone's working hours. And if for some reason I'm sending an email where it's after hours and it will require work or maybe a response for someone, I really try to use a scheduling function where it'll go out at the beginning of the next business day, at least for them. I also do this on Friday afternoons and I know it's going above and beyond, but that's really how important work-life balance is for me. I don't want to send someone an email late afternoon and then feel like they need to squeeze in a response or an action before they close out for the weekend, or if it's a bigger project or something that might not be received well, I really don't want them going into the weekend with any added stress. For me, Friday afternoons are to get everything off my plate so that I can really go into the weekend with the work weight off of my shoulders, and I really try to do the same for the team. It really makes a big difference. But there is a caveat, of course, if you work in a demanding job or you have a big project with a deadline that requires you to work the longer hours and possibly on weekends, then it comes with the job. But if you are working crazy hours all of the time and you are not able to put those boundaries in place, it might be time to look for another role, at least during this season of life where you want to spend more time with your kids while they actually want to spend that time with you too. And I know this is not an easy decision to make. I actually got approached by another company a few years ago for this really big role where I would have been making a lot of money, but it would have required a lot out of me and I would not have been able to detach from work because the role came with so much responsibility. I had told them my hesitation in taking the role and they came back to me and told me to basically name my price. How much would it take me to take that role? I felt like I was in the twilight zone. Of course, I felt honored that they would think that highly of me. I know that I would have done an amazing job, but it would have been at the sacrifice of my family time. The new job also wouldn't allow me to work a day from home, which was a benefit that I've had ever since becoming a mom. So Russ and I sat down and we tried to come up with a number. We went through the pros and the cons and put a price tag on each. And I even thought that maybe if I just did this job for two years and bank what we could, maybe I could do it. But at the end of the day, I really couldn't put a price tag on my family time and the stress that really would have came with the job because you're not going to get this time back with your kids. And I didn't want to be regretting that. I'd rather regret not taking that job and not making that money and not having all that extra money in the bank than not 
making memories and going on the trips and spending the time with my kids and with Russ. My ego wanted to take it. Believe me, <laughs> I would have loved to have had it on my resume, but I got to the point where I don't need fancy titles and a big job to know my worth. But my point is, if you really are not in a position where you can get that work-life balance, if your job is really that demanding and you are not enjoying it and you have the ability to take a step back, even if it's just for a period of time, there's nothing wrong with that. Your ego will get over it. And you can always climb that ladder when your kids are older. Number five, be flexible and adaptable when you can, especially if your company offers that as a policy. There is nothing worse than getting a manager that doesn't follow your overall company culture. Nowadays, post-COVID companies are really more flexible with the working from home if needed and just more flexible with your overall schedule. As long as employees are not taking advantage of it and they are able to get their work done, then allow some flexibility. And if you don't, there are other companies and even teams within your company that do, and you may actually lose a good employee. Number six, be personable and provide guidance and support. Be approachable. You are in the position you're in because you're more experienced, or at least you should be more experienced than the people that report to you. You should make yourself available if they have questions or need guidance on how to do something or how to handle a certain situation. Your team shouldn't be shy or intimidated to approach you either. I really try to think of myself more as a mentor than a manager. And if I can help my team or teach them a skill, I am doing it. It can be really hard, especially if you work virtually. But I try to foster an environment where everyone on my team feels comfortable reaching out to me no matter what. I tell them all the time that I have a virtual open door policy. You just have to ping me. But going back to the boundaries and being considerate, you should always make sure the person is available to I am or chat by simply typing the words I am question mark and waiting for them to reply. You never know who is at their computer or who they're sharing a screen with or if they're just that deep in work that your ping will distract them. So try to have that mutual respect. Number seven, encourage professional development. This goes hand in hand with providing the whole guidance and support. If you see that you have an employee that can use some extra support, help them find some training. I'm sure your company has some sort of learning platform or access to outside resources. I know LinkedIn has a bunch of training. I've taken a few. Your company may also offer free LinkedIn training. So reach out to your HR department to really see what's available. Most companies also have a budget for learning and development. So you may be able to bring in a resource to do a bigger training if there's something that your whole team could benefit from. So check it out. Number eight, give praise, recognition, and offer feedback. I think it's really important to recognize and give praise when someone on your team does a great job, especially if they go above and beyond their role. I try to give that positive feedback when it's warranted so that people know that they really are appreciated and that I'm noticing their performance. If you have an award or praise system at work, use it. It can really help motivate employees and not acknowledging their hard work can actually have a negative effect, especially if you do have an award or praise system at work and you're not using it. You can also take it an extra step and ask your employees on their one-on-ones how they like to receive praise. It's kind of the same as their love language. Maybe some want to hear a good job in your one-on-one. Others may prefer to get a shout-out on a larger forum. So maybe if you have a team meeting, you can add a time slot where you give kudos to people that have done great that month. Either way, a good job or great work here and there can really go a long way. That's if people are doing a good job. On the flip side, you also need to make sure that your employees understand what you expect out of them. And when they are falling short or aren't working to your expectations, you need to address it. 
you should be having one-on-ones with your direct reports where you are checking in with them, seeing where they need help, using that time to give constructive feedback. Do not wait until the year-end reviews. I had a manager do this once. He brought up something that the client had been complaining about for a few months. And I asked him why he waited to tell me till my year-end review instead of addressing it the first time it came up. So I could have made a simple change then and there instead of letting the client, unbeknownst to me, get all frustrated with something I was doing. It doesn't help anyone by not addressing it. And you could save yourself a lot of headache by giving that opportunity for growth. Number nine, empower decision-making and sharing of opinions. Don't be a micromanager unless their performance really warrants it. You give your employees room to grow, allow them the space to build their confidence and give them the opportunities to share their ideas and their opinions. They might think of things you never thought about. It goes back to that whole diversity of ideas we talked about last week. You don't want everyone to be cookie cutters of themselves because seeing things from different perspectives really is what makes a team stronger. If your confidence level is not there yet with the employees, when they have an issue or a roadblock that they would normally come to you with for a solution, you can challenge them and ask them how they think it should be handled and use it as a teaching opportunity. You're not just their manager. You are their mentor. You are their teacher. They will only learn if you give them the opportunities to learn. They will only grow if you give them the opportunities to grow. Number 10, foster a team environment. Encourage collaboration and partnership within your team. Give them opportunities to work together, to get to know each other. If you work in an office, maybe have a team outing, a lunch, or maybe a happy hour where everyone can get together outside of work to let loose and just get to know each other on a personal level. If you work remotely, that can be a little harder, but you should be having like virtual team meetings with some sort of consistency. And I like to request that everyone shares their cameras because it really helps in building those relationships. Plus, I really hate talking to a black screen. I always share my camera. We also started doing virtual happy hours, which can be a lot of fun. We do them at the end of the day and people can choose to have a drink or not, but it's something you could do round table icebreaker on before on our last one. It wasn't even a thing that was set up, but someone's cat came into the picture and then it got us all talking about what pets we have. And then everyone went and got their pet and they shared it. And it was it was actually really cute. And bonus tip number 11, lead with empathy and respect. And this is important in any relationship you have in life with every interaction you have with any person in life. You don't know everything that's going on in a person's life, even your kids, possibly even your spouse, although I hope you have an open enough relationship with your spouse that they tell you when they're struggling, but especially with your coworkers and your employees, you only get to see a small percentage of who they are and what they're going through at work. You don't know what internal battles they might be fighting, what personal things they are dealing with, what might have happened before they came to work that morning, what phone call they just received prior to meeting with you. If you are fostering good relationships with your employees, they may be more open to tell you what they're dealing with personally that may be affecting their performance. But if someone isn't performing to your standards, approach with empathy. Ask them if everything's okay. And if they don't share what's going on and they say everything's fine, you can follow up with telling them that you're seeing a difference in their performing and they're not performing as well as they normally do. And maybe ask them what you could do to help support them, to help them improve. If you approach the conversation from a level of respect and concern, you will get a lot more out of them rather than starting the conversation where they're immediately on the defensive. Think about how you would like to be approached. This really is another topic that should probably be its own episode because I could talk about it all day. But like I said last week, if you treat people poorly, they will only work hard enough to not get yelled at, 
or talk down to. But if you treat them with respect as your equal and even throw in a compliment here and there, they will work harder because they will be more loyal and have more pride in their output. I hope you found this episode helpful. And like I said, even if you're not a manager today, you will probably manage something or someone at some point in your life. So keep these tips in mind for when that day does come. And if you are a manager, take the time to really reflect on these areas and see where you could be doing better. I promise you, the better environment you can create, the stronger your team is, the easier work will be for you. And the easier work is for you, the better balance you can create for yourself. Sending you so much love and light until next time on Mom Wife Career Life with Carrie Pat. Before you go, if you found this podcast helpful, I would be so grateful if you would take a minute, go on over to iTunes and leave me a review. If you have other stressed out mamas in your life that you feel this podcast could help, take a screenshot of this episode, post it in your Instagram stories and tag me and let them know that they are not alone and they can create balance in their life too. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover or you just want to connect, DM me on Instagram at mom.wife.career.life or come on over and hang out with us in our Facebook community. Sending you so much love and light until next time on Mom Wife Career Life with Carrie Patton.